Hi, everyone. You're listening to another episode of the Style Files podcast. I'm your host, Paloma Contreras, and I'm so delighted to welcome today's guest. He's someone whose style I have admired for at least a decade now, David Jimenez. David Jimenez was born and raised in New York City and currently resides in Paris. During his career, David has played an important role in developing the visual aesthetic of Pottery Barn, Restoration Hardware, Williams Sonoma, and Williams Sonoma Home, and as a result, has influenced what constitutes style in the American home. His work has been featured in a variety of print media, including Architectural Digest, House Beautiful, Real Living Australia, The New York Times, and in House Beautiful, The Home Book. He can be seen on television, lifestyle, and design segments, including HGTV and Hallmark Channel. You can follow David at David Jimenez Studio on Instagram. I'm so delighted, David, to have you here with us today. I can't wait to hear about what you've been up to lately, especially with your big move to Paris. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, David. Hi, Paloma. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are things in Paris? Uh, things have been better uh, and uh, full of optimism in a way that uh, makes it feel uh, so positive about what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. It got really scary uh, for us and for the world. Uh, and uh, just recently, there's been a real shift here. Uh, our, our numbers in terms of virus cases have gone down uh, significantly. And I think it's created a level of optimism throughout the country and certainly here in Paris, uh, which is so densely populated. And it's been just a pleasure to see people cautiously back out on the streets and to see the bustle and uh, have cafes and restaurants uh, uh, back up to speed. It's been, it's been uh, uplifting. That's wonderful to hear. It's really been on my mind since this pandemic began because obviously Paris is one of my favorite places to visit and we've started doing a lot of business there and just, you know, thinking about dealers and shop owners and restaurateurs, all these people who have become friends and familiar faces on our travels there. I, you know, I, I hope that they come out of this okay and that their businesses continue to thrive and that they're not too negatively impacted, but you can't help but wonder what the long lasting effects will be after having to shut down for so long. But I'm so glad to hear that cases are down and people are resuming what will be, I guess, the new normal um, in Paris and in France. And I, I can't wait to be able to go back. I'm so sad that we're Americans aren't allowed to travel into the EU right now. The, the situation has been bleak. Uh, from that standpoint, it's been bleak. Uh, I think, uh, um, Americans are, are, are loved uh, by the French and certainly any, any French shop owner or restaurant owner loves the, French, uh, loves the uh, Americans even more uh, uh, because they're such a, 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 an important part of, of the livelihood of the, of the business. And uh, one thing that is lacking is uh, a, a real uh, strength of tourism throughout the city. And so you mm -hmm. see that so in, a, in a very sort of, um, in a very sort of positive way, uh, there's this great spirit that's happening, very local spirit that you feel happening. But at the same time, uh, I walk to restaurants here on my on my street, and uh, it's it's challenging because there's really there's not a lot of people in the restaurants, uh, unfortunately, and uh, they're just not getting the kind of traffic that they've had in the past. But if I know anything about the French, uh, they are resilient, and uh, they've been through a lot. And uh, you know, not very long ago, we had a, a a real dark moment here with Notre Dame burning. Mm -hmm. And I actually happened uh, what would be equivalent to maybe a block away from my home, my current home, uh, on Isla Louis. And to watch uh, something so epic and so heavy happen and so dark, uh, and then see the community of people that gathered in such a reassuring and positive and um, embracing way, just gives you hope and, and uh is your really great feeling for um, the the ability of, of of the Parisians and and the French to really to, to to rise above? So I know it'll get better, and and I'm hopeful that uh, you know that that the tourism will pick back up, and that uh, uh, Americans will be able to come back to to Paris. Uh, we miss we miss all of you, and I hope you get to plan a trip uh, sometime soon. Were you planning on coming out here uh, in the fall or or later on this year? 
Well, we were supposed to have been there in March and then again in May. And now I'm not sure when we'll be there. My hope is that we can maybe, if things calm down, that we could go, say, maybe October, November. Paris is so beautiful in the fall. And I'm, my, I'm hopeful that by then some of this will be behind us and we'll be in a safer situation. But I just don't know. I feel like I'm a little bit hesitant to make travel plans. You know, we, this last trip that we had booked um, for May was with Air France. We usually fly Air France. And as of now, they're basically allowing us to change our dates through November. And then I guess anything past that would be a loss that we just have to eat, which isn't ideal. So hopefully, you know, if things don't get better, they'll amend that policy. But We'll see. I don't know. I would love to be there. I I miss it so desperately. Well, it's a it's a, it's a magical place, and and uh, uh, I hope I hope things evolve and and get better, get better soon. Uh, uh, I I just you know I say very close uh, closely connected to the news in the U.S. It's important to me, and uh, just recently to hear that the cases have gotten a little bit worse uh, in the U.S. than they've been uh, in a while is uh, is heavy. Is heavy, so I'm just hopeful that people are staying safe and um, and doing everything that we know we're supposed to be doing to uh, to ensure that that the virus uh, gets minimized, right, and hopefully goes away soon. So hopefully so. Well, before we dive into the impetus for you moving from the states to Paris and everything that you're doing there, let's go back to the beginning. Where did you grow up, and how did that experience inform your aesthetic and eventually put you on this path that you're on? Great question. I, I am originally, uh, I'm a New Yorker, New Yorker at heart, born and raised in New York, actually born and raised in the Bronx in New York. And uh, at a very early age, uh, was really touched by design. In fact, it, it's, it's pretty funny because um, I think we probably all do this, and I'm sure you probably did this too, Paloma, but I got into the habit of rearranging the furniture in my parents' living room at least uh, <laughs> once a week. It usually happened on Sunday afternoons. And Rather than be surprised by it, they they would always uh, encourage me and and be and be thrilled that I had come up with some new bizarre composition for what to do with the furniture. And uh, it got to a point where at, at, at one point my room in my in in our home uh, looked like it belonged in a different house. I had wallpapered it. At this point, it was probably around sixteen. I had wallpapered the walls and and put up artwork on the walls and started and started playing with some black and white gallery photography. And uh, it's just something uh, that I think is innate in, you know, certainly I, I think there's, there's a lot that you can learn and hone in a craft uh, as you, as you get older, but, but oftentimes, you know, there's, there's a creative spark, there's an energy, you know, if, if I, I say, I, I wish I'd been a, a singer, I wish I had the voice to be a singer and I, I wish I, I could have been a piano player, but I, I, in fact, don't have the talent for either. I have a, 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 an appreciation for them. Mm-hmm. But uh, what does and what I have and, and came to me innately uh, as, a, as a child, it was just this, this um, desire to, uh, to be around things that, that, that were beautiful or to learn about design, design and, uh, and be more exposed to it. So started when I was a kid, uh, when I was about 16, 17, I took a part-time job at The Gap just to make some extra money. And uh, I fell in love with the environment. It was a very positive environment at the time. Mickey Drexler had just joined the organization and uh, he went on to be one of the um, most epic uh, and prolific uh, visionaries sure. in the uh, and really put Gap on the mark and uh, on the map. And at the same time, Maggie Gross, who was in charge of all of all of PR, did an outstanding job with uh, the Individuals of Style campaign. I don't know, know, don't know if you remember that, but there was all these beautiful Hollywood uh, uh, stars wearing black and uh, in black and white photography, wearing Gap T-shirts. And the idea was that you could aspire to wear something as evocative or as as beautiful or look like one of your favorite movie stars. But the price, the entry price was really only $9.50 for a pocket t-shirt to get you there, to, to give you that access. And, and the premise was, was terrific. And it was a time of huge growth for the company and huge growth for me personally. Um, I fell in love with, with, uh, with my job. I, 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 was, uh, I worked really hard to be the best darn salesperson the Gap had. And 
uh, started winning all these contests and eventually uh, ascended in my career, went from being in sales to uh, middle management, upper management. And then after a few years, I decided that really what I was passionate about in the stores was merchandising. And I found that it came to me very naturally. And I saw some store managers that would struggle with it. But uh, for me, it was a pleasure to do it. And I would help other store managers. In time, I was promoted to uh, from The Gap to Banana Republic and was overseeing the first regional visual merchandising position for the entire company. Uh, and it was a pilot program at the time. And it was so successful based in New York City that then they transferred me to San Francisco. And that's how I, I got to San Francisco. Um, I was at the Gap in total for about 11 years. And then from Gap, I went on to uh, become the director of visual merchandising at Pottery Barn and eventually became vice president there and then went from Pottery Barn to Restoration Hardware. What's been exciting about the opportunities that I've had in my career and what's, what's been maybe the most rewarding as I look back is that during every opportunity that I had, every position that I had, I was, I was uh, in these companies at a time of great growth and change. And it was revolutionary. And so what it gave me was this, this, uh, this, this love and passion for, for creation, for recreation, and for uh, really revitalizing businesses. And so early on, I got to admire it. When I was at The Gap, I saw what Mickey Drexler and his team put together. By the time I was at Pottery Barn and later at Restoration Hardware, I was part of a, of a small group that was leading the change and that was creating the store aesthetic and that uh, with the CEOs and the presidents of the time uh, was really defining the point of view for what these American brands would become. And so I feel, I feel really, really blessed uh, to have had something in my day job that was as fueling and as rewarding as what I've always enjoyed in my personal life, which has been interior design. And so it's, it's been this really uh, uh, wonderful parallel path between the two. That's wonderful. And it sounds like it would have been incredibly energizing to be at any one of these companies at a time like you de described, you know, when things were changing, the tide was turning, things were growing and evolving for the better. And to be part of that, I would imagine would be incredibly rewarding. It was rewarding. And, and it was also uh, a great amount of, of growing involved as well. You know, you, you were, you were sort of, creating new rules that didn't exist and, 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 and uh, being a part of, of an evolution that, that, uh, that was seismic, you know, at every touch point from, from the way the store looked to uh, the employees and, and how they were selling and, 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 uh, and, and how the product was uh, presented to how it was received in stores and how it was, how, uh, how things were, were executed really at, at every, every touch point in those organizations. And it was fun, you know. It's just it, it was fun. So I look back on 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 each of those opportunities that I've had, and and I and I just look back with a great uh, great positive feelings about uh, how energizing and and uh, uh, just how much fun they were. That's amazing. Now I I would imagine that the process of coming up with, I guess, the creative side of um, a retail business, whether it's a campaign or I guess the merchandising plan for that season, wouldn't be all too different from a design project necessarily, because you come up with the vision, the inspiration, and then it's about the materials and the individual pieces. Could you tell us a little bit about the process of putting that together and what goes Absolutely. Into that? What you described is really, is really a, a great sort of basis for, for how it works. So generally, um, the the CEO or the president um, would have a pretty clear vision. Uh, and if, and if they don't, then, then you help them define what that vision is going to be. But, but usually they have a pretty clear idea for what they want. What's challenging at times is that the CEOs really don't, don't, uh, don't have maybe the capacity or, or, or don't really have the time, frankly, to, uh, to drill down, to, to get to the nuance of how to art articulate that and bring that to life through a statement in the store. And so what generally happens is that there is a, a plan for a season or 
if it's a really thoughtful company, it's a plan for the year. And so you're working one year out in advance and you get a brief for what the top sellers are uh, that are expected to be uh, presented in the store. And if it's a really smart company, they involve the merchandising teams to be part of the conversations. And by mer merchandising teams, I mean the visual merchandising teams to be part of the conversations with the buyers. I've been in scenarios where sometimes uh, those worlds are really separate. And the risk is that uh, because creatively, we can have such an impact on sales. I mean, when you think about some of the stories that you walk into that you love, that you, you're touched by, right? And for a second, you think about what that experience is. It's really, it's the nuance of that experience. It's walking into a space and being so touched by, by what you see in front of you, how a, a, a setting is created, how a table is brought to life, how a display is, is, is layered, how, how an outfit makes you feel like, wow, I need, I need three of those. So there's, there's a really strong impact that visual merchandisers bring to the table when allowed to uh, by the buying teams. And so I've had the opportunity of working with really open-minded teams where once the plan is identified in terms of what's going to be presented, then it's handed to the visual merchandising team. And it's clear what the biggest items are that need to be emphasized. But sometimes within that, there's a nugget. You know, there might be a belt, there might be an accessory, there might be uh, uh, a piece of art that that intuitively you know is going to complement what's being presented, but that was never considered as being important. And suddenly you bring that to the table, and and you can help really shift the business uh, through what you do visually in the store. And then in terms of how it parallels back to working with a client, um, so there's a brief. And, and of course you wanna hit the brief, but you wanna go beyond the brief. Uh, you really wanna create something that feels so um, experiential from the music to the scent, to the visual, to the signage, uh, to the complete environment. And, and really that's, that's the goal. Uh, and, and, and what's been great is to be able to do that with different groups of product, you know, my, the, product changed pretty dramatically from going from uh, retail at Gap to, uh, to being at Pottery Barn and then later on at Restoration Hardware and then following that at, at Williams-Sonoma. And so with each one of those, obviously the categories are really different. And, and in, in a way, it's also been um, re-energizing for me personally because there's newness within each one of those uh, categories. And there's also... Um, because I'm working with different teams each time at every one of those positions, it's uh, it's exciting to be able to have, to have uh, new collaborations and and, uh, and and new exchanges with uh, with teams that you feel like, wow, we can build this together. Right, absolutely. That sounds like a really fascinating process. It's it's um, it seems like it would be really sort of holistic in its approach. That's sort of part art and part science because surely the numbers and sales and all of that drive part of what needs to be in that season's display or you know be the focal point but to bring that together in a way that evokes a specific feeling as you mentioned before that's the magic that's the magic of merchandising and you know that's the reason why i always end up buying if i like something i get it in three different <laughs> colors <laughs> i agree i completely agree um i wanted to share with you actually a, a a really specific experience that i had early on when i when i joined pottery barn pottery barn was in a major state of evolution uh and this was um, probably 15 20 years ago and uh the stores were lovely but uh, they hadn't changed in a long time and they had a lot of uh um there was a need, a need to evolve the stores. At the time, mm -hmm. we'd gotten on a plane with the president and with eight merchants and myself. And our goal was to come to Europe uh, to be able to shop for trends, which is what most uh, U.S. retailers do. Uh, Europe is really seen as a destination to be able to gain inspiration for, for what, what's to come, usually one year out. And we started in Paris and we went to Italy and Amsterdam uh, and I think that was those, those three, three, three destinations. And within each destination, we would separate. We'd start with a plan for what we were looking for, and then we'd separate into groups and go shopping individually, independently. And then 
we come back at night, have dinner together. And after dinner, I would take everyone's shopping bags back at the hotel and go downstairs into the hotel conference room. And for the next two hours, I would assemble vignettes in the conference room based on all of the product that everyone brought back. And then following that, which was probably closer around maybe nine or 10 o'clock at night, uh, the entire team would assemble again. And then we would have a meeting for about a two hour meeting, about a two hour meeting to review each of the categories and what we found. And so just to give you, give that even more context, um, at the point when I was creating these vignettes, it was so clear to see what the trends were. So like, for example, um, one buyer might've found a zinc vase at this really cool shop on the Marais. And another buyer may have found uh, some really cool zinc flatware uh, at a different uh, little boutique uh, in, 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 the, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in the second or in the third. And somebody else found something at a flea market and, and that was zinc as well. And once assembled, it was, it was clear to see that zinc directionally mm. was on trend and important in, in Europe at the time. And that we had an opportunity to be able to leverage that in a fresh new way with some uh, new products that we would develop for the brands. And so that's where uh, that partnership that I was describing uh, you know, has, a, has the potential of being so powerful and so uplifting for a company. That's amazing. What a cool exercise. I'm sure that had to be so fun to see the common thread woven through all of your individual finds to come together and tell a story for the brand. It was, it was a blast. And, uh, and it was just fun to be able to, to have the teams walk back into the room an hour uh, later and, and really clearly see, you know, uh, the, 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 certainly the productivity of that day's work. But beyond that, you know, the, the clarity of, of direction in terms of the, the trends that, that we were seeing and, and what felt absolutely appropriate for us to, to leverage and, and develop and bring back. Amazing. So one other thing that has always stood out to me about you is your personal style and how beautifully you interpret that in your various homes. So I know that you've had, you've lived in many places as you've talked about, which isn't uncommon in a career in retail. You tend to move around every now and then. So um, you've hopped around a bit around the States and now you're over in Paris, but several of your homes have been published in House Beautiful and various um, various publications under the Architectural Digest umbrella. I know they've been in American Architectural Digest and Italian AD, Russian AD. Um, you have an incredible, incredible eye. Tell us a little bit about how your experience in merchandising and working in retail crosses over into your approach for interiors. Uh, that's a great question. And I appreciate the compliment. That's very kind. Thank you. I appreciate your <laughs> very much. Well, it's very true. Um, you know, it's hard. It's hard to really define uh, what what creates personal style. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure someone could do a better job than I at at, at the nuance of, of of what that represents. But I could just describe what I enjoy. What I enjoy are spaces that are collected, spaces that are personal, and uh, that feel layered, uh, and and that evoke a mood, you know, that make you feel like all I want to do is roll up my sleeves, kick off my shoes and sit back with a gin and tonic and, uh, and, and listen to some jazz and turn the lights down and, and just chill. Uh, and, and that, that, that thing, that, that mood, that desire uh, really influences my spaces. Uh, I, I'm not a minimalist and, and I've, <laughs> I, I value minimalism and, and I, and I think it's, uh, I think in the, in the right setting, it's absolutely beautiful. Um, but I, I actually, I like having things around me and I like, I like, um, I like the, the collective nature of, 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 of the stuff, but I also like a space that feels defined and that feels like it has a point of view that makes sense to the location. So, so usually what I start with is, uh, where is the home? It, my home in Kansas city, uh, may have had the same attributes of being personal and collected and layered, but it was a very different sensibility than my home in San Francisco or my home in Paris. Each one really has an identity that feels appropriate to its location. So I think that's generally a, a, a start. Um, where am I? And, and then um, in terms of, uh, to answer your question, the influence of work on home or home on work, you know, what's, what's been great for me is 
that they both complement each other. And so through my experiences at each one of the retailers that I was at and through the shopping trips that I went on and through the things that I saw at the time as we were evolving the stores and, and, and really revolutionizing the look and feel and launching new stores and flagship stores, you're always looking for new directions, uh, inspiring new things, things that really uh, elevate the point of view and, and, that, and, that, and that can take the brand to a, a different place that, that's comfortable within the four dots of the brand, but, but that, that really takes it to a new ground. Through that process, I'm also gaining inspiration personally for uh, things that I might want to do at home. And, and then vice versa. There's sometimes things that I do at home, like uh, uh, the way that I might use art, for example, in, in, uh, in a setting, in a room. And, and the idea of being able to bring some of that, some of the home uh, attributes and the things that, that make a space feel comfortable and that make it feel, um, feel warm and, and bring that into composition at, at work as well. So it's really, it's been, it's been a balance of the two. And actually what I find is that when you, when you hit it, it touches people. And this has been my experience over and over again. So for example, um, I can tell I can't, I mean, countless times when I, when I was setting up, you know, inspiration rooms for a new season at any one of the brands that I was at, I would set it up because you only have oftentimes just one piece of each item. You don't have a collection when you're working, when you're out and you have one, one sample of each item. And I would put together these rooms and these vignettes that when people walked into the space, touched them and, and, and they resonated with that. Similar to the way that I, I feel uh, sometimes, you know, when people come into uh, one of my spaces, have, have a response to. And, and for me, it's always um, so rewarding because I, I do what I do for myself. I don't do it for... I don't do it for accolades. I don't do it. I don't do it for exposure. I do it because of my love and my passion for what I want to surround myself with. And when people say that they're touched by a space or when they resonate with a space that I've, I've put together, it's always so um, meaningful to me to get the feedback because it feels, uh, it feels like, like they see what I see. And that they're touched by what I what I'm but what I'm touched by, and and in that way it makes it feel uh, authentic, but also uh, like I'm sharing something that's really personal uh, with others, and so that that feels really good. That's such a nice way of describing that. I really like that. So one thing that really stands out to me about your various homes over the years, it sort of harkens back to that personal approach, is that you don't get rid of everything and start completely over when you end up in a new place. I can sort of see there are things that stick out to me that I recognize that you've had over the years and you've repurposed in each home. For instance, you have a beautiful Louis Philippe commode that um, I, I know has been in several of your homes and is with you in Paris now. And a lot of your art, I know that's obviously something that you're ever expanding and constantly collecting, but it looks like there are pieces that you've had over the years that have moved forward with you. I find that so wonderful because it, it just really drives home the fact that your home is personal and it's layered and it's all about things that have meaning to you rather than just being filled with stuff. That's, that's beautifully said. Uh, and, and what you just described is how I feel about it. You know, I, 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 when I fall in love with something, I want to keep it, (laughs) you know, I, (laughs) <laughs> it's just, it's as simple as that. Uh, and, and so it's hard to have this, this visceral experience about something that you pick up at an antique shop or at a flea market and, and you, and you, you know, you schlep back home with you and, and, the, you know, suddenly you shift apartments or shift homes and, and, and you sell it all, or you get rid of, rid of it all to start over. And I applaud, I applaud people that, that have, that, that can do that. Um, for me, it's unnerving. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. unnerving. So here's the biggest fear ever is to need to uh, move into a new uh, environment, a new home, and not have anything and need to start from the ground up for two reasons. Number one, I'm a cancer. 
And so home is everything. And the faster I can assemble my home, the happier I am. <laughs> That's number one. Number two is that, uh, you know, there's just some foundational pieces that, that I love and that are timeless. And so, and so why not keep those with me? So um, what's really funny though, and this is, this is of course the sort of the, the, the other extreme of this, which is anyone that collects will appreciate this. And I'm sure, Paloma, this may be the same for you, um, but I, I really do have too much. And when I say that, I mean it. <laughs> no, it's true. That's the whole reason that, uh, well, a huge part of the reason that we opened the store <laughs> last year was I was just constantly buying things that I fell in love with on my travels. And I didn't always have the perfect project for that particular piece or I didn't have a space for it in my home. And so I thought, okay, well, we need to figure out a way to make this work where I can keep shopping for things, but I don't have to immediately place them. So it's been um, nice to have that outlet, but I know, I know what you mean. I always advise people, especially when it comes to antiques and art, if something speaks to you, don't worry so much about whether or not you can make it work in that instant because if you love it, you'll find a place for it. That is such a beautiful, beautiful philosophy. But that, that is absolutely a primary reason that uh, one gets in trouble. And... It's true. It's true. I know. I have a, a couple of storage units. Uh, well, this. so same here. Well, same here. So this, is, this is really funny. When I was in San Francisco. Okay, so this has been sort of an ongoing story and, and, and kind of a funny one, but really in the end, not so funny. Uh, I, had, uh, I had two homes in Palm Springs and I had three storage units massive storage units of extra furniture that I'd acquired because I'd fall in love with pieces and and then would get them home and not be quite sure <laughs> that they would work and cycle them into the into the storage unit. When I moved to San Francisco, I I had two massive storage units. Currently here in Paris. Um, so and by the way, all of those all of that inventory is gone. I had I had a couple of estate sales along the way and and, and was able to uh, happily uh, have all of those pieces go to, to new homes. Uh, so that made me happy. But um, here in Paris, you know, I, I, I got a, a container worth of, worth of furnishings. And, and it's really hard. It's hard to, to get rid of the stuff that, that, you, you know, that you like so much. So, so that sort of leads to my next project, which is uh, you know, potentially uh, getting something that's a little bigger uh, in Paris or, or somewhere here in France and, and be able to have the opportunity to be able to empty that container happily into a new, a new home. That sounds amazing. Well, I look forward to seeing all of your finds unfold in a new setting. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know, sort of going back to your homes for another minute, I think one thing that, you know, you obviously didn't mention because you're so kind and so humble, but I think a testament to your talent is also the fact that not only have you held on to things that you love and you've moved forward with them and all of your various homes. But the fact that you can make them feel different and interesting and you're styling things in different vignettes than they were in, in their last iteration at the last house and make them feel completely different is incredible. I mean, that is a true testament to your talent because I mean, I, if I go through and remember the different places, the different features on your various homes over the years. And I'm sure you could do the same thing, you know, identifying that lamp has stayed with him, that piece of furniture. You just recognize things because we, I, I love your aesthetic. And so those things stand out to me. I remember them. Um, but the fact that, you know, each home seems to have its own spirit, even though the contents may be similar to what you had in the last the last home is a true testament to how gifted you are in terms of the way that you compose these interiors. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I, 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 I love, I love the experience of a new space and, you know, I think most creatives feel this way, which is that, that you sort of live for a project. You know, I, I, I live for my next project and it's, it's really funny because I think sometimes you will things to happen, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, mm -hmm. you, you're in a space, whether it's an apartment or a home and, and after, you know, getting it all set up and feeling really happy with it, uh, you know, three years, four years, five years into being in that space, you start to itch for another, another deep dive in a new, in a new project, a new meaty project. And so right. that, that's part of what, what uh, I think um, 
uh, motivates, uh, you know, some of, some of the change. Uh, certainly some of the changes also happened because of, of new jobs, but some of it is, has just been because I, I wanted to either downsize or, 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 or get something bigger. And, and each time it's, it's usually driven by my desire to, to really want to do something fresh and fun and new. Well, speaking about new beginnings and doing something fresh and fun, you've done what so many of us surely dream about doing one day, and that's moving to Paris. So tell us a little bit about the impetus for taking this leap and how long you've been there Absolutely. now. Absolutely. I had the pleasure of meeting uh, the owner of the company that, that I worked for for three years. That was really the link to coming to Paris. Uh, I met him when I was living in Kansas City, Missouri, and uh, I was at the time I was, I was working for Hallmark. And uh, I was at Hallmark as part of a very small group uh, that was brought in to reinvent the brand at the time. And, uh, at the time Hallmark greeting cards, uh, or the Hallmark brand, uh, just needed, uh, needed, needed evolving. Um, they wanted to attract, a, attract a younger demographic, completely, uh, revolutionize the stores and, and create a new spirit and dyna- dynamism, uh, in the company. And, uh, through that process, there was a, a, uh, an owner, a European owner, that had uh, uh, a license here in France to sell their, their products, not limited to greeting cards, but other products as well. And the backstory on his business, which is really pretty beautiful, it's a, it's a 100-year-old company that was founded uh, around the same time that Hermes had been founded and they had uh, forged a, a really wonderful partnership. And to this day, products for Hermes, uh, all paper products. So if you buy an agenda at Hermes, it's produced by this company. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's got a, a beautiful legacy and history in, in fine printing and initially started in doing beautiful lithographs and art and coffee table books for designers like Dali and others and actually worked with Dali at the time to develop these books. So it was a, a very, very important brand and it had lost its way over the years. And um, fast forward many years, I stayed in touch with uh, the owner of the company who eventually became a really close friend. And on my visits to Paris, I would come to Paris every year for my, for my birthday. I mentioned I'm a cancer, my birthday's in July. I just had a birthday, July 6th. And Happy thank birthday. you. Thank you. And every every year I would come out to Paris for uh, 10 days for I've been doing that for maybe like the past seven or eight years. And it became harder and harder to go back home after each trip. And uh, three years ago, three or four years ago, the owner of the company called me. And at the time I was living in San Francisco and working for William Sonoma as the uh, senior vice president of visual merchandising. And he asked me if I would ever consider relocating to France, moving to Paris to help lead the, the, the revolution of the brand. <clears throat> and before he could finish getting the words out of his mouth, <laughs> I said yes. And uh, <laughs> it, it was amazing. Six months later, uh, he helped me acquire the visa and uh, I got here. And it was, it was such an incredible experience and it has been huge growth experience because uh, I arrived knowing no French at all. Um, I, I, I knew the basics of how to, how to, you know, politely say hello and goodbye, but that was about it. And culturally, you know, it's so different. Uh, everything that you love about France is sometimes as just as much as, as you, as you find frustrating or difficult about, about France. Uh, and so there was a huge, huge learning curve, but through it all, uh, you know, my, my, just my love for the country and, and my love for Paris uh, prevailed because even during the hardest times, and there were some some real difficult moments of adjustment and and some learnings along the way that were really pretty intense and bold. Uh, but rather than feel defeated by it, I I got back up and and remained motivated and uh, and and focused on on really the, the the pleasure of being here. And it's been amazing. So, I worked for the company for three years. That was incredibly fulfilling. Uh, repositioned the company, uh, brought in and created inter- an internal uh, design studio where there was 20 people total, 10 people in marketing, 10 people in the design design group. Uh, brought in all all aesthetic for the product uh, in house, meaning in the 
prior to my joining, everything was being farmed out in terms of uh, product design. And so all of that was now being controlled internally. And I was overseeing the aesthetic and, and really the evolution of the product. And we had, we were catering to three different core groups. So there was luxury, which included Hermes and others, and then a mid-tier, uh, which here in France is Monoprix, which is a little like the target of the United States, and then a mass tier, which was uh, Ikea and others like that. And it was amazing, yeah. a huge impact on, on the business, huge impact on sales. And uh, back to that thing that I was saying earlier about sometimes feeling like you just need to continue to grow after three years, we got to a point where I stopped feeling like I was growing. Like I stopped, I stopped, I just stopped feeling like um, I was as creatively challenged as I was when I started because uh, all of the work that was really seismic had already been done in three years. And rather than stay and, and maintain, which would have been fine, um, I decided to make the bold decision to, to resign. And so I, I because he's a dear friend, I, I gave, it was like a year's, uh, notice of, uh, uh, to resign. And, and there was a really smooth transition into uh, the next team that would come in and, and continue. And we still work together on projects occasionally. Um, so he's a very dear friend. Uh, but that gave me the opportunity and really the confidence to launch my own interior design firm uh, here in Paris. And, and I did a lot of soul searching prior to doing that. Um, you know, I've always had a huge, huge amount of respect for interior designers but always uh, thought, you know, I'm not sure if it's if it's right for me, you know, uh, client to client and job to job uh, just feels like a different, it's just a different way of life, uh, a different way of life. Mm -hmm. And for me, the, the, the value of, of the ongoing security of having a, a you know, a day job uh, and a salary that, that you don't really think about needing to go from job to job always made me question whether or not it could be something that I, I would, I would be happy doing. Right. And what I found is that uh, it's been it's been amazing. It's been it's been rewarding, and uh, already just in having launched uh, the business, and frankly, I haven't even really publicized it yet. But I'm already working with some uh, really really uh, special clients, and uh, working on some very very exciting design projects that give me a lot of optimism and uh, a lot of excitement about uh, about the future. That's incredible. So are all of your projects in Paris primarily? No. So here's what's really wild. <laughs> uh, all of my projects to date have been in the United States. And so oh, I, wow. that seems surprising to be able to have that be an effective relationship, but it's been seamless. Uh, you know, there's so many tools, uh, Skype and, and, uh, and Zoom and, and, and others like that. It makes it very easy to be able to teleconference and, and to uh, review specs and, and colors, et cetera. And so, and so yeah, so all of, all of, there's been one project here in, in Paris and all of the others have been in the U.S. I have building a, a home in Santa Rosa, uh, just finished designing a boutique in San Francisco, uh, also I'm working on a project in New York, um, and so it's been it's been it's been really good. It's been really really good. That's fantastic. What would you say has been the biggest challenge in in, in establishing yourself as a creative entrepreneur and now a designer outside of a corporate environment? Um, just this, the 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 magnitude of it. You know, there's a there's a security that you get. Uh, innately from being part of a big business. It's just natural. <clears throat> you have, um, you know, you have such a foundation and you have access to so much. If you need some help with IT or you need some help with uh, problem solving or an artist or really whatever that might be, HR, <laughs> there's, someone, there's someone there to readily assist. Uh, and when you're on your own, it's you, you are on your own. And, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm, I've started uh, on my own, uh, Initially, it just took me a little while to to get acclimated to the change. But then I, I cracked the code uh, early on, and I realized, okay, there's already people that I count on that that I I know do a really great job that I've had really great experiences working with. So, for example, I've had and have been working with a graphic designer for the past 14 years that I met in Kansas City, uh, who is a huge talent. And, and he helped uh, me with everything from uh, my website to other design pieces. And so he's an, an integral part in, 
in this new business. Uh, I have an administrative assistant that I've had for the past 15 years that I also had when I was in Kansas City, Missouri, who's still with me. Um, and uh, there are the, these these people more recently that I've been able to to meet and reach out that are huge talents uh, here locally in Paris. Uh, I met this this wonderful uh, interior designer. Uh, who freelances for me, who is, has been a gem, uh, great style, uh, really smart, really fast, a pleasure to work with. And, and so what I found was that uh, that, that thing that, that maybe gave me the most agita, that made me the most uh, worried <laughs> about, wow, I'm going to be by myself. I realized, you know what, in a way, this is almost like, and in fact, someone, there was someone that had given me this advice along the way and said, it's really, it's, you're, you're never really, don't think, about it, don't think about it as being alone. Think about it as being a director of a film. Mm. And there's a cast of people that you need that you must depend on to help you bring this to life. And you could have you could have the, the, the vision for what it's going to be, but but you need support. It's just it's obvious and natural that you would need support to be able to bring that project to life. And and that was such a a fresh perspective for me because uh, you know I, I just think it's part of how I was brought up. You know, I, I'm very independent and very focused and hardworking and, 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 and driven and also very self-reliant. You know, if, if I could do it, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it myself. And, and there's pleasure in that, you know, you, you, you sort of, you, you sort of, you, you thrive on that a little bit. And then the shift happens uh, when you realize that, uh, in fact, I, I can't do this by myself and, and I need to be vulnerable enough to ask for help and be open enough to get the help and then be, uh, and be lifted by the help because in fact these are fresh perspectives and, and and really great ideas and smart people that are around me and and if i lean on them uh the end result will be even better absolutely it's so true um, no one can do this job on their own it really takes so many people so many different players it takes a village but on some on some levels it can be a little bit lonely running your own operation and being an entrepreneur, you also have to wear a lot of hats. Like you said, there's not an HR department to call upon. <laughs> you can consult with an attorney or your accountant or, you know, other advisors in that realm. But um, there, there's just a lot that one takes on when you leave a very structured, tiered corporate environment to then do your own thing. But for all of the more stressful aspects, I feel like it's exponentially more rewarding to be able to do your own thing and be so incredibly passionate about what you're doing and to choose the projects you're taking on. Completely agree. Completely agree. Now, for your, your experience, uh, first of all, uh, I, I am so proud of, of your ascension. It has been oh. just, uh, I mean, I mean this very sincerely. It's been such a pleasure uh, to be on the sidelines and, and watch over the years how your career has blossomed and the level of success that you've been able to achieve. And I, I'm, I'm so, so, so happy for you. And what, what I love I is that, uh, you know, how, how, it, how our connection started, you know, and, and, and I was thinking about that prior to, to our call today. Um, and the blog, your, your blog, La Dolce Vita, and, and mm -hmm. yeah, I was in Kansas City, the house I think had been in House Beautiful, and you had reached out to me uh, and, and wanted to do an interview. And, and uh, I was charmed then. And it's been it's been amazing to just see see you grow. Now, what what's your experience been been like uh, now independently doing it? And do you have a large group that that you have helping you? Well, thank you very much, first and foremost, for your kind words. That really means a lot to me. It's been quite a journey, um, and you're so kind to say that. But yes, I have um, I have a team, and so my experience has been rather wonderful. And truly, the whole path, my entire trajectory has been very, very organic. I didn't necessarily set out with any kind of plan, knowing exactly what I wanted to do or how I wanted to scale or any of that. I know that other people do. Um, but for me, it was just sort of figuring out one step at a time what the next thing would be. And I always had a vision that I wanted to do something creative and I've always loved design. I know that I enjoy working for myself and doing my own thing versus being in a more corporate environment. And so um, over the years, things have obviously grown and evolved, but I currently have a team. We're still pretty small. I say we're small, but mighty. I have um, a couple of full-time people who are 
with me every day. And then we have um, additional staff who are part-time like our accountant and our bookkeeper. And then of course, you know, you have lots of people on the payroll when you run a creative enterprise and you're building a business. So in addition to all of that, you know, we have an attorney on retainer and we have um, our PR team and a marketing consultant and all of that. So there's a lot of different pieces and I don't know that people always realize that. And of course I didn't start out with that team in the very beginning for the first few years, it was literally just me doing everything and doing okay at some things and doing terribly at others, such as my accounting and bookkeeping. So I always say that I am a big believer in the best use of talents within an organization and you should hire for your weaknesses. So I knew early on, I was not good at accounting. I'm not good at math. I don't enjoy that particularly. And so my first hire was our bookkeeper. And then, um, so she's actually been with me the longest. She's been with me since the beginning. Um, but aside from that, you know, we've had different project managers that we've brought on to the team over the years, and we work very closely together. I still spearhead the entire design process for every project. You know, I see some of these big, wonderful, incredibly successful firms, and they have this sort of structure in which, you know, there's a very clear corporate ladder that people climb and they eventually become um, a senior design associate and then potentially a partner and all of that. And I think that that's absolutely wonderful, but I also have a hard time envisioning a time where I could completely let something go if my name was Mm -hmm. on it. Um, And I know that, you know, people sign off and they, they give their blessing or whatever because their name's on it, but I just don't know that I would ever be able to let go of the reins quite that much. So for now, Um, having a small team and still being able to be very involved in everything works for me. And, you know, we do get very busy and that's something you figure out over time too, is some, the work ebbs and flows. And I think you touched on that earlier is, you know, not knowing what's in the pipeline and what's coming next. And we're very lucky to continue to be quite busy with lots of projects, but, um, it's tempting sometimes to think, well, we're all so busy, we should hire another person. But that is probably my least favorite part of owning a business is um, not necessarily so much managing people when it's the right team, but the hiring process. And when it doesn't work out, that can be so stressful and demoralizing for the team. So I think we have a really good rhythm now and a really good team. And so for the foreseeable future, I think we'll stay sort of small, but mighty. Um, but yeah, my experience has been great. I feel like that's a really long winded way of saying that all in all, it's been a learning experience. You know, I haven't always known the answers. I don't to this day feel like I have it all figured out. And I don't think I'm the type of person who will ever feel that way. I like a challenge. I like to push myself. And I think that's why I end up doing, you know, different types of things. Of course, my design firm is um, my primary focus and what we spend the most amount of time on. But we started our store and I decided to start this podcast during um, the pandemic. So (laughs) I just love the industry so much that I want to experience it in different facets. I love it. I love it. I'm I'm so struck by by, uh, what you said about not wanting to release the reins and wanting to stay uh, heavily, heavily involved in all that you put your name on. And I think that is so important. Um, you know, that we've seen brands uh, come and go that, that unfortunately lose their soul. You know, they're, 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 there's something that, 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 that happens along the way. And, and I think it's exactly that. I think it's that whoever was, was leading it got too busy and, and, and stopped being uh, personally involved. Uh, and so I think that that's a, that's a beautiful, uh, beautiful disposition to have for your business. And, and, and I, I say, bravo, keep, keep it going. It's so great. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it mostly works out for the best. (laughs) Sometimes I think, well, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to have a day off, but I love it. (laughs) Honestly, I can't complain. And I'm sure you've found the same now being out on your own that the work never stops, you know, it never ends. There's not really a starting point and an end point to the day or, um, the 
free time that you have when you work for someone else and your weekends are sacred, you kind of think about your projects all the time and you're constantly sourcing new things and stressing about the to-do list, but I wouldn't change it for the world. It's so rewarding. I love it. Completely agree. Completely agree. There's, there's no, um, you, you don't clock out. <laughs> there's no clocking out uh, when true. you work for yourself. Uh, it's, it's, it's on constantly, but it's a, there's a pleasure that comes with it because of, of uh, just the joy of doing it for yourself. And, um, and, and I, I, there's nothing quite like that. That's, that's really, really pretty terrific that we get to, we get to have that. Yes, we are very lucky indeed. Well, David, you're also a very gifted storyteller. Obviously, that comes through in your interiors, and it was obviously a huge cornerstone of why you were as successful as you were in your merchandising career. Um, but lately, you've been using a different outlet, and I have absolutely fallen in love with your videos on Instagram. They're so beautifully produced. And in each one, you give the viewer some really valuable takeaways that they can easily implement into their own life when it comes to living stylishly. Could you tell us a little bit about the videos and what prompted you to do them? And are there more in store? I hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's so nice. Thank you. I, I, uh, I actually started the videos came as a result of uh, a post that I received, uh, there was a, a new follower, and just Instagram as 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 a whole has been such a, a wonderful uh, venue. You know, I, I get so much out of it. Um, first of all, the obvious, which is it's incredibly inspiring, but also through the process, uh, connecting with this community of people that, although uh, I, I don't know them personally and may never uh, get the opportunity to meet them in person, develop this real relationship you know it's between the, the feedback and the comments and there there's just this really wonderful exchange and uh probably about eight months ago i received a message from a new follower and it was a really 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 kind message and uh i was really touched by her words and she talked about how uh she aspired to do more in her home and, and that she felt like she just wanted to, to learn more. And that if, would I ever consider doing a video on something related to either how, how to, how to merchandise uh, a, a, like a, a library with books or uh, to do something with, with art. And, and uh, I sent her a message back and I said, I, I'll, I'll consider it. That that's a, that's a really, really wonderful idea. And it stayed with me and uh, I decided I would do it. Uh, and I, I came up with a, a series of topics that I thought would be relevant, and uh, and, and some were weren't focused uh, just on design. Some were focused on food. There was one about making bouffe bourguignon, and and so I, I wanted to have fun with it and just see what people would respond to. And the response was was really positive, really really positive. Um, they were done in a really scrappy way. I, I found through my through my trainer at the gym, his best friend is a video producer here in. Paris. So I told him this idea that I had for what I wanted to do. And he said, well, you've got to talk to my friend, Bastian. He's, he's really talented. And long story short, I met him, a uh, young, dynamic, fun guy. And two weeks later, uh, we were here at my apartment uh, shooting and, and on the streets uh, on Ile Saint-Louis shooting. I, I, I didn't mention earlier that I, when I arrived in Paris, I arrived and moved into uh, my first neighborhood, which was in the 8th arrondissement, which is very close to mm -hmm. um, uh, Champs-Élysées and the Georgia right. Saint Hotel, which was beautiful. Uh, just, I can't even tell you, coming home after a long trip and having the taxi driving, driving up Champs-Élysées in the direction of the Arc de Triomphe before making a turn to go to my apartment just gave me chills each time I, I made that trip. And so that was a, a lot of fun. But what I found was that that area didn't really have um, a lot of soul. Uh, there, it's a very industrial area. There's a very commercial area, I should say. And, mm -hmm. you know, things close down at around six o'clock, six or seven. And uh, outside of a few restaurants, there's really not, not a lot of charm. And so uh, I decided that with the opening of the firm and, uh, and wanting to have a new experience in Paris after three years, uh, I would relocate. And so I found this charming uh, space that I use as my design studio uh, here on Ile Saint-Louis. And so now, <clears throat> for those of you that know Ile Saint-Louis, I'm, 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 I'm steps away from Notre Dame and I'm steps away from Bastille and I'm steps away from uh, 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 
uh, Saint-Germain-des-Prés and also the Marais. So it's really centrally located. But what's really magical, what's really, really magical is that I feel like I'm in a little village. And, and I walk out my door and there are these wonderful uh, shop owners and uh, great little shops on my street. And it's so charming and it's such a tight knit community. Uh, and, and I've just grown to, to, to love these, these people. I mean, they're, 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 it, they're just, it's been, it's been a pleasure. So part of what I wanted to do with the videos was to celebrate uh, those shops and to celebrate these uh, really special connections that I've had with these uh, with these wonderful folks uh, here on the island. And so that's what I was hoping to drive at. So the idea was set a premise for a, a, some type of a design inspiration and then uh, through one of the shops here in, in, in San Luis, on in San Luis, sort of fulfill the dream of whatever that inspiration was. Um, so for example, like making Bouffe Bourguignon because I, I wanted to make a delicious Bouffe Bourguignon. I, I found the quintessential recipe and then I went to my butcher and in the video you see me going to my local butcher and having a conversation with him in French about, about buying the right beef for the Bouffe Bourguignon and I speak with his wife about whether or not she marinates her meat prior to, to, to cooking the meat and, and the exchange, it's all authentic. It's all real. All of it is real. And, and the affection that I feel for, for those shop owners is real. And, and so it's just a, a really wonderful connection. It just made me feel just in the smallest way, like I could give back, you know, a little bit to, to this community that I love so much. And that's been so, so welcoming. So. Well, they're beautifully done and are magical and are such a fun little escape. You feel like you're transported to Paris for a couple of minutes while watching them. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And to answer your question, uh, I, I don't have any in the pipeline just yet, but I've been receiving some messages uh, uh, like yours asking whether or not there might be more and, and I'm considering it. Amazing. Well, good. Now, do you think that you'll stay in France for a long time? That's such a great question. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, and I, I, what I can tell you is that I, I have such a, a passion for, for, for France and for Paris and, and uh, the idea of leaving would make me very sad, but I'm also very open to, to uh, what's next. And so it's not, it's not clear to me uh, right now. I have nothing uh, in the works in terms of relocation, but um, uh, I, I'm, I'm open to, to what the universe sort of, uh, directs me to do, but, but I'm, I'm having a blast right now. So no immediate plans for change. Amazing. Well, as we begin to wrap up, I'll ask you a couple more questions. What advice would you give to someone who's looking to change lanes and make a big career switch like you have, or maybe take a big leap and move somewhere that they've always dreamt of living? What, what advice would you give them? And then also, um, is there any advice that you would give to your younger self? Uh, two, two excellent questions. Uh, for the first one, I would say, if someone has a desire, a burning desire to do something, um, the last thing you want to do is live a, live a life uh, unfulfilled or, or with regret. And, and I, I would say take the leap and <clears throat> try to uh, be as, as cautious uh, as possible in the process of, of, of whatever that is going to be, whether that's changing careers changing jobs, uh, relocating to a new, a new city or to a new country. Uh, but if it's in your heart, uh, life is too short not to consider it. And, and personally, for all of the anxiety that I had around the, 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 the unknown uh, in making a leap as big as relocating to France, uh, what I found through the process and once I was here, uh, was was just uh, so rewarding and so filling that I I don't regret it for a moment. Even though even though there were challenges along the way, as as there would be um, with with something as big as a as a change in country, uh, I I feel so blessed and so so lucky to have had the opportunity. So I would encourage everyone uh, that that really has a, a strong desire and a strong yearning uh, to want to do something different to to go for it. That's great advice. Well, David, I'll ask you one last question. What is currently giving you hope in the world of design or otherwise? People, uh, connecting with people. Uh, uh, and, and this isn't necessarily specific to design, but just in general. Uh, you know, uh, there are so many um, reassuring moments that I've had personally 
<clears throat> being an American in Paris, far away from, from my home and my friends and my family. And it's those, um, it's, it's the, the, the reassurance that you feel with, uh, with the people that you care about and that, uh, and that buoy you, you know, moments of either fear or anxiety or, or pain and that nurture you and, and that support you along the way. And so, um, I, I, that, that means everything to me, you know, connections, uh, uh, deep, meaningful, important connections with people that you care about mean, mean everything to me. Beautifully stated. Well, David, I could chat with you all day long. I've just loved hearing so much more about not only your background, but about what you're doing now and your life in Paris. It's all so fascinating. And I thank you for sharing so much beautiful inspiration with the rest of us. Thank you so much, Paloma, for this opportunity. What a, what a pleasure speaking with you. And I Absolutely. Well, hopefully we can um, meet up in Paris and chat more over a cocktail hopefully <laughs> sooner rather than later i hope you make your trip out to paris soon and we get to have a glass of champagne absolutely we'll take good care great chatting thank you with so much you. bye bye That was creative entrepreneur and interior designer, David Jimenez. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to visit us online at thestylefilespodcast.com where you can find more episodes featuring inspiring conversations with creatives. You can listen directly on our website or subscribe via Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.